Hello, hello, and welcome to Borborygmi, Noises from the Veterinary World, the show that lets you overhear conversations between veterinary professionals about anything and everything that's topical in the industry. The triumphs and the tribulations, they're all in here. I'm Naomi Mella, vet and podcaster, and welcome to season two. So 2020 has been quite the year, which for a lot of us has featured more tribulations than triumphs, if we're honest. So in the spirit of recognising that the pandemic has upended a lot of people's finances, we thought we'd bring you a new series of conversations around money. We're being supported for this season by VetU, a veterinary-led community encouraging you to face up to your finances, to get the help and advice you need, and to start paving the way to a brilliant financial future, whether that's starting your own business or planning for your retirement. Everyone involved in VetU has had highs and lows in their own financial journeys. So this season is all about telling you the stories of our community to help you make the most of your finances. Most important of all, we really want to hear from you over the next few weeks. So send us an email at hello at vetu.co.uk. You can drop me a DM at Naomi the Vet with underscores between on any of the social media platforms or write us a review on Apple Podcasts with your thoughts and feedback and we'll be featuring a few of them each week. We really want to know what you think about money, about pay in the profession, about whether you even give your financial future a second thought or anything else you fancy. Go on, you know you want to. Today's episode is an absolute corker. I know, I know, I do have a tendency to say that fairly often, but the wisdom and practical advice meted out in this podcast is really, really worthwhile, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Just quickly, though, thanks to those of you who've been in touch this week. We had a lovely message from Pippa McKench, who said, I heard about you through Vet Stego Diversify, and once I started exploring the podcasts, I couldn't stop. Looking forward to the new season of Borborygmi. Oh, thanks, Pippa. That is so great to hear. The entire back catalogue of Borborygmi is available on all the podcast platforms. So if you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to all our previous wonderful guests. And do keep your messages coming. We really love to see them. Now on to today. Gudrun Ravets has, in her words, got a portfolio career these days, including holding the position of head veterinary officer at Simply Health. She's also a past president of both BVA and SPIVs and lives in North Cumbria, where she's likely to be found on her bike or in a wetsuit swimming in a lake somewhere. Alison Lambert worked in business for both Hills Pet Foods and Mars before starting her own business, OnSwitch, in 2001. Alison is an honorary associate professor at the University of Nottingham Vet School, and last year she received the AVA's Veterinary Business Thought Leader Award. We started by chatting about Gudrun and Alison's attitudes to money before they went to vet school and whether earning potential impacted their career decisions. Money was not something I considered. I never thought I would be responsible. I never thought I'd have a mortgage. I never thought I'd have a child. I never even considered what a pension was. I never, it, the responsible bit of life that means you have to have money for it and dependence and that bit where I might not work just never entered into my head until probably about the age of 26, 27. So for me, money was a, a, this construct that of, oh, there's money. <laughs> it wasn't a factor. Um, you know, it was just what I grew up going to be. And it was very difficult to be a vet 
because um, you know academically I'm very limited it was just that's what I was going to end up doing so money, money has become a horrific part of all our lives now because you have to have it to get by for that you're the generation where who are now qualifying you know they they're not in a position to you know accrue any assets or accrue any earnings that mean that when they're my age you know 56 could they retire no chance but it was interesting isn't it when I first qualified I didn't accruing assets was not it just wasn't on my radar when I took my first job I was just it was almost sort of that oh wow they're going to pay me for for doing this job that I've just qualified to do I didn't question the amount I didn't benchmark I didn't consider it I wasn't you know I wasn't like oh frivolous with money in fact I'm completely opposite I'm risk averse and it wasn't that I didn't realize you need money to live it's just the concept of planning with money or the concept of actually my long-term money or the concept of I might have a dependent or I might need to consider what happens to the mortgage if I can't work they just weren't important now at that age and at that time I just qualified to do something I really want to do. The rest of it was just going to happen in my head. So why would I negotiate? Because I didn't, it's not, I didn't see the value, but I didn't see the long-term need of, of planning for it. One thing you mentioned though, though, is that your parents said it was a good idea. So you had this pivot point in your understanding of life that actually if my mum and dad said it was a good idea to, you know, maybe, yeah, buy the house, it's a good move. Or we, we, we had that influence from, somewhere in our being we didn't take a lot of notice of it but there was a like you know you don't ever want to be dependent on a landlord which is my family's heritage is you, you need to own the place you live in so that someone can't take it away from you yeah, I was always aware of my parents saying oh we need to save to do this or we won't go out for dinner because it costs this and we can't do this so you become aware of the concept of money due to your background even if that's subconscious and I do think that has an impact on how you then um, plan going forward. You know, it's in your psyche, isn't it? So my relationship with money when I first graduated, very different than now, but still obviously that upbringing of be a little bit careful, what are you going to do if you don't have any more, was was built in there. And I think our relationship with money with, as vets is really interesting. The, the thing that when you think about it and I you know on reflection you know you're listening to a couple of people who are actually now financially fortunate um you know we, we are in a place where we we've got our ducks in rows and we've got enough ducks to put in rows and so for those listening in who are going well I haven't got a duck and I can't make a row is what do I do and how do I go from here is that conceptually that the start point of your relationship with money and I think this is what Gudrun's alluding to is our relationship with money is my I grew up didn't have any my family didn't have any the fear was losing your home there was none of these things which maybe for some people that's the expectation of normality so I'm way 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 better off than my parents and grandparents and I was in my first job there weren't the the trappings of society that for many people um you know the idea that you have two or three holidays a year and you own your home and you might have a holiday cottage and you might go skiing or you know you might you might do stuff I didn't have any of those expectations. I, that wasn't my world. I didn't have that. I didn't know there was another world. So when I got my first job, I was the wealthiest person in my family. For me, interestingly, I think it was for me probably about 26, 27, where I was married, I had a house, and I was thinking, actually, that thing of being totally carefree and that real I live for now 
is starting to change. So we started to have those, what I call those kind of grown up longer term conversations. And that's when you realize you need to fund this. And there's a very risk averse person. I was aware that being very risk averse, I almost got into financial paralysis because I was so worried about losing my money. I did nothing with my money because I didn't understand it. So I had to learn to understand it, engage with a professional. And the minute I did that, you learn, okay, there's these other things I need to consider. As a vet, you know, I feel we have various relationships with money. And I think that clouds us. We have a relationship with money in how we feel that we we are often uncomfortable about talking about money with, with our animal owners and keepers because of the profession that we do. And we feel, I think sometimes we feel conflicted about that. We then can often take that home and feel conflicted about what we're earning and how we do that. And then sometimes we do get into this cycle of comparing ourselves to other people of how much that earns. So I think as a profession, we need to have a really good conversation and a really healthy relationship with money and be proud of what we do and what that costs, proud of what we earn because we work hard to do it, and then be proud of how we engage with our own money. So rather than sort of running away from money in different relationships, I think sometimes as a profession, we need to stand up and say, it's okay. And how do I then take that money that I have earned and I've worked hard for and use it in the right way for me? So it's an interesting question. And Gudrun raises a really good point. It's about the relationship we have with the currency of cash that flows around in our lives, whether that's at home or, you know, from a client or or from wherever. Uh, In my first job, I walked out of after 12 weeks. The second job, I was made redundant because the practice went bust. The third job, I wasn't paid. The fourth job, I loved. But Black Wednesday happened. So interest rates were 15%. It was a huge financial big hole. And at that point, my I, I just went, oh, I've had enough of this profession. And it was just too much like hard work. So I left the practicing arm of the profession and went into industry. And at that point, I was paid really, really well compared to practice. It was like, they give you a car, they give you a pension. What's a pension? And all of a sudden, I got those things which I saw other people. I, went, I became aware that people had holidays. I mean, it was this concept of time off and going away. And then ended up in the Mars organization. And then I was very well paid. And I had a huge amount of cash. We were paid weekly. So every week, someone plonked an awful lot of money in my bank account. And at that moment, I went, hell, there's money here. <laughs> what do I do with it? Um, so I spent it. I went to the Maldives three times in one year. Stupid, huh? Um, and I look back and think, you know, in that one year, that was probably an annual pension contribution today. You know, it, that could have been a whole max out your pension contribution. Really, I don't, I don't like that version of me at all really don't look back on it and just go god you know you were chasing maybe you had to go through it yeah maybe, maybe. Through it. I don't know I mean you met me just as I came out of that but it, in the moment it was like you were you were chasing the money you were chasing the lifestyle you know you would go and buy new outfits and clothes and shoes because everybody else had them and and money changed me I'd never had money and all of a sudden I did and it was like I didn't know what to do with it so I went from a six-figure salary at that time to nothing and I went you know what it's like the old days I can still get by so I did some locoming I did some stuff and then I started the business and at that point I went it's my money now I'm never going to be dependent I'm going back to how I used to be so I went through a real kind of peculiar relationship with money having more money made me truly miserable and unpleasant genuinely it's people's relationship with money that really matters so you could have more and, you know, 
Bill and Melinda Gates have done some amazing absolutely charity work and and I, I presume they're happy I can't speak for them so I, I think it's how you perceive money and, and my concern is if people can you can conceive it in, in in lots of different ways and I'm not going to preach which one it is but like as Alison said you know you go on that big bender and and I know loads of vets who did that in graduation you get your first paycheck and you just go nuts and then you are either chasing that lifestyle or it's catching you up and that's making you miserable and you're chasing something else or as I have done you get into the Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be secure? I've now got these responsibilities. Am I earning enough? You know, and and that conflicting thing of actually, I want more time, less money, but I'm really worried that I'm not going to meet everybody's needs with it. And you become paralyzed by that as well. And you don't spend, and then and then you're on the other thing. So I, I do think sometimes it's you've got to stop and go, okay, my relationship with money is this. Why is it? What is important to me? And sometimes, you know, write it down. I spend this on this. I spend that on that. Does that really make me happy? And at that point, you go, right, what do I need? What do I actually need to get through and get by? Then what do I want so that I can do the things that matter to me? And all of a sudden, you see that the world, money is an enabler of what you want to do. Money isn't the goal. You have to have sufficient of it at stages in your lives. And that's why sitting down and probably the output for the guys listening to this now is to say, just get that piece of paper and actually write down and make it a discipline. And once a year, I do it every January um, after Christmas, I sit down and do the financial family plan. And it's like, what have we got? What do we owe? What's coming in? What's going out? Where are we? What's in a pot somewhere? Oh, I forgot about that pot. Oh, damn, I forgot I had to pay for that. So we have an actual family planning session and it takes about half a day. And you just stop, you print off all your bank statements, you print, you get out all your bits and your bobs, you're paying somebody 20 quid a month for something, you can't even remember what it was. Every year, it's amazing. In January, I probably saved 300 quid a month on stuff I'd forgotten I signed up to. And literally, we've been doing this since, since I literally walked away from a perfectly good job with a very, very good salary package. It was like, I have to be aware now. And that was a tipping point for me was knowing what I'm what is coming into my family unit. So what is what are the monies coming in and what am I routinely and regularly spending? You know, all of a sudden you write it all down and go, right, this is what my incomes and my outcomes are. And do 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 do. And you just look at it and go, do I really need that? It's quite interesting because when you're when you're when you're in clinic as a clinical vet, you do this all the time. You know, you see a case, you diagnose it, you look into it, you you get the facts, you write the facts all down, you make your decisions based on the facts, you talk to the owner, you make out a plan of what's right for those circumstances. We do it every day when we're in clinic. And somehow we kind of go, well, I I used to, I'd go, well, I don't know everything about finances. I don't know everything about pension. And therefore, oh, I can't make a decision. Or I don't know everything about the right bank account to use. So I can't make a decision. And actually, I can because I can go through the logical processes that I do as a vet, exactly as Alison says. I can work out what's important to me. I can do all the big picture stuff. And then if I need to, I go to a professional and say, can you help me? This is me. This is what I earn. This is where. But the really important difference to what what made a difference to me was I could suddenly decided this is where I want to be. I actually want to retire at this age. This is how this is the lifestyle I'd like when I retire, which is not extravagant. I just want to be able to get a new bike when I go when I when I want one and new running trainers and that's fine but having that plan and then going can you help me get to that what do I need to do and that was the difference for me where I stuck my head out the sand and went I know my plan I know where I'm going I just need a bit of help to do it and this is what's important to me 
And and that for me then, just if you think back to when did you first become aware of being the guardian of your own future? And that's that there is a tipping point where you have to take responsibility for where you are. It isn't their fault anymore. You, you can't go, it's their fault. It's my boss's fault. It doesn't pay me enough. Or it's the mortgage company's fault because they're charging me too much. It's not, it isn't a their fault. It's yours. You own it. You own your, you know, we are where we are because of the decisions we made. And we change the world when we change what we do. The plan went from that time in 2001 to when I was 55, which was last year, was by the time I hit 55, these things have to have happened. That's what we want. We want we want freedom to choose what to do. And that freedom to choose what to do was have to have, must own the home by then, must have the pension in a position where it could take the tax-free lump sum out because you can do that at 55. If you've put into a a personal pension, you can take 25% of your pension pot away as a tax-free lump sum. I need to be able to do that. So all of those things had to be in place and done by age 55. And therefore to get to, you know, 2020 in a position that I can say, well, that's me, I'm done. I don't owe anybody a penny and I own everything that I've got. It meant I didn't spend a lot on me for the last 20 years. I spent a lot on investing. And that's a mindset change, which is if I want to be able to live on more than 160 quid a week, which is a state pension when I'm 67, I have to sacrifice a little bit of the unnecessary three Maldivian holidays a year so that I have something later. And that's maturity. That's something that it hits you at different stages in your life. I think Goodman makes a good point is there's a point where you suddenly go, damn, it's on my head. I can't blame anybody else now. If I don't earn enough, what do I do to earn more? If I don't have enough to get by and feel comfortable for my future, what do I do about it? We cannot blame them, them, whoever they are. And it's, it is it is interesting, isn't it? I think and, it, and it, there is a degree of personal about oh, it. Oh, God, absolutely. For those who have no interest in finance, just have a little bit of awareness of it. Just have a plan in place for you just in case stuff happened. Your money situation changed, life changes. But if you are, if you are planning it, if you're comfortable with it, if you can see that you have a little bit of long-term planning there and you think you know where you want to go, it's a little bit less scary. And I think that is important because we're probably talking to lots of people who are you know, sitting through a pandemic, you know, really worried or starting off in their first job and thinking, how do I ever get over here? It's just not foreseeable. It is. It happens. Engage with it. Join in with it. Get some professional help. And don't become paralysed by it. Thanks for listening. It really means a lot to us that you do. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it wherever you can and do tell a friend. We'd love for more of you to join our community celebrating the veterinary profession and those working within it. Borborygmy is brought to you by me, Naomi Mella, as part of Vets Stay Go Diversify. Thanks to everyone involved this season. Your support is much appreciated.